0: Hi, I'm Kate and I'm Mandy and this is Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and the sober curious. If you love the Love Sober podcast and it's helped you to get, stay or love sober, you can support us by heading over to patreon.com forward slash love and contributing one pound per episode. Thanks so much for your support. Hi and welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast with the sober and sober curious and today I'm absolutely delighted to welcome two amazing women, Neetha and Khalees. Um, and Neetha and Khalees are mum and daughter who live in an intergenerational way um, and they are Trying to make an impact with recovery coaching in the UK, and they did some amazing work. So I can't wait to properly dive in and and chat to them. So hi, Neeta. Hi, Calise. Hi. How
1: are you, Kate? Thanks for having
0: us. Ah, oh, not at all. Yeah, well, we were having a little chat, weren't we, before and yeah. um, saying it's the summer holiday hustle. Mandy and I call it the period of school closure, really. We don't call it a holiday, because let's Ugh. just call a space page. Right? Yeah,
1: it's definitely not a holiday, is it?
0: No, <laughs> and we were just saying it seems to have got really busy, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's just that kind of messy, sticky busy. I can't quantify it, but I just know the diary's full, life's hectic, mm. yeah. Definitely.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we will dive straight in, and what's really interesting and beautiful about your story is that you're both women in recovery and so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of cover the same ground with both of you because you mentioned to me uh Neitha, that it's a bit like two sides of the same coin different two different sides of the same coin yeah, yeah that kind of thing so i think it'll be really interesting for listeners to kind of get both your perspectives on your yeah your recovery and your experiences of it as mom and daughter and as a family so um okay if you're happy to dive in we'll start with Khalees tell us about your decision if you don't mind to go alcohol free um so I think that you know I honestly
2: at the very end I didn't want to give up my lifestyle the patterns the drinking the The I think it was the overall lifestyle, but um, there were many situations that had happened that had led me on my road to recovery, and the the last one was um, I have overcome domestic violence. I had um, gotten beaten up really badly. I lost my apartment. Um, I mean, I was I was in and out of jail. Like it was just chaos. You know, I wasn't a parent at that time. Um, It was just very much overwhelming, chaos, dramatic, and I'll never forget, you know, mom and I, we talk about uh, the moment when she set some boundaries, you know, she set some boundaries, and she's like, I'm not doing this anymore, and it was like, um, I went to stay at a shelter, like a women's safe house shelter, because she was like, you're not staying in this house anymore, like, you're not going to keep doing this. And then she had she had said do you want to go to lunch and i was like of course i'm gonna go to lunch you know like who's gonna turn down free food <laughs> and, then, and then and then she's i was like this is uh this is interesting because she's like feeding me like what's what's about to happen <sighs> you know and that's whenever she was like look like i'm not gonna keep doing this anymore you can either go to rehab and get your stuff together or i'm done like i'm done done because this had been going on for years, you know, the complete, like, go to rehab, go to treatment, go try to get my life back together, then it all happens again, it had been going on for years, like, it was just this reoccurring pattern, and then I went to rehab, and actually got a scholarship, and ended up staying there for 90 days, and then whenever I was there, we did a lot of family treatment, and support, and stuff like that, and then my my mom was like, look, like, do you want to go to England, and I was that was kind of a big jump but I didn't really have any options you know what I'm saying like I was homeless I couldn't get you know like I, I did I lost my license so it was just all over the place and then mom was like look like let's give you an opportunity to be supported in a new country you know you'll live with family you'll have us to support you it'll be changed but it'll be good it's not going to be easy you know but it'll be good and that was kind of it. And that was, and ever since then, it's just been ongoing. And and now I couldn't think of anything different. You know what I'm saying? But ultimately yeah. I didn't want to get into recovery, but it just had kind to of happen.
0: So when was that? take us give us a bit of a time so that was
2: 2018 yeah. i'll be four years in recovery in, in february at the
0: beginning Yay. Of next year. Well yeah. done. and it's really interesting isn't it so that was all in the states yeah and this is something that kind of perhaps we'll meander into in terms of the difference in terms of the uk and the states <laughs> so you could go to rehab that was available to you yeah um and also then it, it sounds like that there was this chance to just start afresh because there weren't the support networks around you there. Yeah. So well, so, so go on. Well, there, I mean, there was support like networks. Like, don't get me... Like,
2: there's tons of opportunities to find recovery in Texas. I mean, I lived in Texas and there's sober living, there's intensive outpatient, there's day programs, there's all of this stuff. But I continued to be drawn to the same crowd you know what I mean that's doing the same thing I bartended everything where me breaking from that and moving what would, would have only, it was the only thing I feel like would have to happened to break that cycle
0: yeah, yeah. right so it really had to be a clean yeah clean start mm-hmm. and so so Nita you were living in the UK at the time were you
1: oh <laughs> yes yes uh living working here and then you kind of um We joke about a mother's intuition in my case goes about 4,700 miles because I was sitting at a meeting in Reading and I just had that gut feeling something was wrong and um, so I went googling and calling and I found her in a not very good position on a Google search Um, and she had been arrested for DWI and um, I knew it from all the way across the Atlantic Ocean and so At that point, we just realized we had to really intervene. Something was really wrong. Mm. So we spent, my husband and I spent 18 months flying back and forth to the States, um, kind of put our jobs on hold, put everything on hold, and then really decided at that point we either had to go all in or find another option because um, there was a little boy involved Mm -hmm. and he needed safety, security, um, you know, options for family. And if we didn't step up, then I don't know if anybody would have. Um, so we did. And we really wanted to keep Khaleesi and our grandson together and have that whole family thing. And so this was the option, you know, if she got help, we'd give her that option. Um, and she had a choice. But one of the things we learned was it always had to be a choice. Yeah. You know, and when Khaleesi refers to those boundaries at the beginning, you know, I'd say, we talk a lot about recovery capital and I say I probably spent 18 months building that recovery capital to learn and have the confidence to set healthy boundaries. Mm. And it didn't come easy, you know?
0: Yeah. As a parent, I'm ju- I was just listening to that and thinking, wow, that's such a tough thing to yeah. get to that point where you say yeah. to your child, okay, that's, you know, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And, and you know
2: what? Like we've had,
0: you know, mom and I, because we talk,
2: you know, we, t- we live together. We talk all the time about mm-hmm. stuff. And I'd asked her once, I said, like, what, like, what made you get to that point where you could say, like, this is it? And she said, it was really interesting because she said, I had to learn to accept the consequences of making that decision. And that could have meant that, yes, you got recovery, but that also could have meant that you went back and something could have really happened to you. And she was like, whenever I could accept the consequences of me making that decision, only then like could I make that decision
0: that's so interesting isn't it because that goes back to your then your recovery Nitha. Mm. and that yeah. because from the outside it looks like right okay so I made a decision but like you say if you dig a little deeper there is so much work that goes into being able to say that and then like you say to be able to accept live with the consequences
1: yeah. and it was literally and it wasn't just me um You know, what I learned through that 18 months of getting the skills and the confidence to do it was it had to be my husband, my mom, um, me. We all had to come to an agreement we could all live with. Mm -hmm. Then we all had to have the ability to be firm and stand in that. So it's really interesting. Khalees and I, when we talk about two sides of the coin, Mm -hmm. we can talk about the day that I told her either you cannot stay here in my mom's house. You can go to treatment and we will help get you there. You can go back to where you were living before and try and figure that out. Or you can go to a safe house for women who've been in a domestic violent relationship. And, you know, we have to say it as a family and say, these are the four options. Does everybody agree? Can anybody come up with another option? We can get yeah. her, you know? Okay. Now can everybody live with all of those? So if she chooses A, B, C, or D, can we all support that and just let it go if it's a case of let it go? And when we dropped Khalees off at the domestic, well, we couldn't take her to the shelter. It was a safe house. We went to a police department and they meet me there. And Khalees says that I was standing firm. I gave her a hug and she said that I felt firm. Well, and then
2: I didn't think she was really going to do it. I really was like this is a test she's just she's just saying she's gonna drop me off she's not actually gonna do it you know like so I'm like no it's okay I'll go along with this you know we'll go ahead ride up to the police station and then like whenever we got there and the police station's there she gave me a hug and I'm like this is real like yeah whoa
1: but on the flip side of that coin she said I was firm and we drove around the corner after we dropped her off, and I broke into a million pieces. And I sat in the car at a stop sign in some pine trees, and I sobbed those kind of heart wrenching sobs that a mama cries in desperation. And I prayed it would be the way that she found a new path. But that was not easy for you, for me. <laughs> but I think that was a pivotal moment where actually setting healthy boundaries and sticking by them. It was the first time we've done that.
2: Yeah. That's what I was going to say. It was the first time where I was like, Oh, like this is getting real. Like she's not playing anymore. You know, like, cause I had been, like I said, I had been doing this for years where I was like, Ooh, like this is a game changer. You know what I mean? To have somebody say no and like stick to it and not, Put up with me, you know, advice. Mm-hmm. My- not pay the rent, not offer to bail her out, not mm-hmm. offer
1: to do any of that other stuff, bus ticket, buy a car, none of it. Mm-hmm. Treatment, domestic violence, shelter, or your own way. All your choice. You know, and it was tough.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I I you know that whole thing from parenting as well, from um before we move on to your recovery story, mm-hmm. um, Nisa, but It sometimes it's really difficult, isn't it? Because it's an evolution, and you get into those family. That's why it's a family issue, right? Because you get into those, making it kind of work, getting by. And is that what you know? That that line between well, what's enabling, what's protection? That's a really fuzzy line, and it can go. So I'm really interested to 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 hear about you know your your recovery. Um, and how that segued into you being able to set those boundaries, basically.
1: Wow. So it's, I mean, I have a long history in substance abuse, um, both my own personal, you know, experience with it. I've worked as a licensed chemical dependency with it. And everybody said to me, but you should know how to deal with this. You've been a professional. You've done your own, you've had your own recovery, you know, for a long time. And I was like, but when it's your child, I don't have the T-shirt for that. And it's just, it doesn't, no matter how much, I, I believe no matter how much time a person has in recovery like me is irrelevant when it comes to dealing with a child. I may have some tools, but you can't, there is no way to quantify that emotional impact. you know. And when you talk about the line between enabling and supporting, for me, that line became survival. You know, it was purely about how do I just survive, not fall apart today or not feel like I'm walking on eggshells or believe that I can make the right decision, you know? And so when it all started, I'll never forget. Somebody said, you really need to go to a mutual aid meeting for families. And I kind of went, oh, not again. You know, I don't want to start over with a process like this. But in the back of my head, I knew we had to start this somewhere and it had to start with me, you know? Um, And so kind of that whole family recovery piece is so interesting now looking back on it, because I know I went to the typical 12-step family fellowships, but I also went to grandparents raising grandkids support groups. I went to um, literally things like just taking the time to go to a spinning class was a critical part. Of that period, because somebody said to me, if you don't take 45 minutes just to not think about this during the day. So, 23 hours Mm -hmm. and 15 minutes of the day was what's going on with my daughter? Is she going to be alive? Will I get a phone call? So, for 45 minutes every day, going in a really loud spinning studio, no phone, just loud music and me peddling my little, it actually started that cycle of being able to separate time. Yeah, you know, and also I started to treat my mobile phone like it was attached to the kitchen wall, like an old timey phone,
3: Yeah,
1: (laughs) you know, because I was just too responsive all the time.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, so just learning some of those little bits and skills to start to create you know
0: my well, interestingly, mom interestingly sorry I was just gonna Go say ahead. just before because I'll forget but very interestingly you know when we talk about boundaries people you know there's those internal boundaries and external boundaries yeah. and so often we have to start with the external ones yeah don't we because we don't have the inner ones so you mm. setting time boundaries and tech boundaries was a way yeah. into setting your internal boundaries for the. they were
1: the first two things that were physical <laughs> commitments to myself Mm. to allow some space for the first time in years around this and I think you know I'll never forget one day Please called me and she called like eight times in a row and I didn't answer and uh you know so when I finally went to the kitchen to pick up the phone that's attached to the wall (laughs) you know um I said to her you know she said well what are you doing why didn't you answer the phone and I was like kind of in the middle of a walmart parking lot buying a gift for a five-year-old's birthday party that i completely forgot about and now just been informed i have to go down this really big slidey thing because that's what i need to do um so really sorry i'm not available instantly and i think it's also a life lesson you know we, we're in that age where people expect a response immediately oh, yeah. yeah. and very much so if you have a child that's in the middle of substance or alcohol misuse they very much expect a response immediately. So yeah, because it's one of so reactive best- and chaotic yeah. and,
0: yeah. yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. And it's just even now, I mean, you know, I still stay in contact with that group of people that were the first group to support me. And I couldn't find a support group like that when we came to England. And so it's quite funny because they used to put me on FaceTime so I could go to the meeting with them in Texas. And it was just like a standing joke that the phone was in the chair and somebody had come sit on me during the meeting, you know. <laughs> but that was that connection and community that because I could not have it here, most people even found a way to make it work,
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know, yeah. so I could still get that support from here.
3: Yeah.
1: And, it's, you know, my mom went to some uh, 12-step meetings for family members at 78 with her little book. We all had to buy into there. Mm-hmm. We all had to agree you know and even more so now there's five of us living in one house four generations we say we're from eight to 80 and we have something for everyone (laughs) we could move into we could move into any neighborhood and we would have something somebody (laughs) who could chat to the neighbors
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I love that yeah (laughs) um so what do you what does recovery mean to you Khalees Mm
2: I think I feel like well you know I, I think it's just too like I'm continuing to grow and learn and things change so I would just say like recovery is an ongoing journey like mm. but it's for progress I mean it's I try not to overcomplicate things mm. but it is just that continuous journey of being a better person
0: yeah
2: mm. and Doing what and what
0: made I mean the the this time what made it stick and what makes it stick for you?
2: I think what mm. makes it, well, what, like, what, what really made it stick was um being, being in a, in a family, like household. I have to say, like, i never did that in my past. I mean, I didn't grow up in a, you know, white picket fence household either. I, I wasn't raised like that. So then to be like in a family, which, like I said, it wasn't always easy still not always easy at times, but to have somebody call me out on my stuff sometimes, you know, and not sugarcoat things and set boundaries and keep me accountable. And like, you know, and we have so many like inside jokes in our house. Like I felt the need to ask mom about everything. And she'd be like, well, did you Google it? You know, did you Google it? So now that's like a thing in our house. Did you Google it? Because I just didn't know how to do anything on my own. You know, even like, and paying bills, you know, or checking the mail, scheduling a doctor's appointment. Like mom's had to like walk me through mm-hmm. some stuff because I didn't do that something. You know, the mail was stacked up <laughs> whenever oh. I was in my in my past. Mm-hmm. But I think too just having that support, that family support has been the best thing for my recovery. And that's mm-hmm. like really what's pushed me through it. And today, like, you know, I hang out with my Nana and like mm-hmm. I have date nights with my son every Saturday. Mm-hmm. And it's just yeah like i'm I'm happy to be a better person today. I'm happy to be an active participant in my family today. be a better mom and granddaughter and daughter and that's that's good.
0: yeah, yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? And, mm-hmm. and what I mean what the piece that I'm trying to think about is so when you were little, were you not in recovery Kalitha, uh Nitha. So how was your how were you impacting on, do you think on Calice in those years?
1: Oh, so Calice was Kaleese lived with her stepdad, with her dad in Texas. So okay. I wasn't in that household as a youngster. And so, you know, it was just, it was trying, you know, because due to circumstances, I ended up being in England and it was like she'd come here, we'd go back and forth. But I, you know, we talked lots of people talked about is it a family inherited thing how does this happen and you know my dad committed suicide when I was really young at three and I didn't have a relationship and I know there was probably drugs and alcohol involved in that I had my own issues with drugs you know then Kalisa's dad was an alcoholic mm. and you know and then so we are so conscious about breaking the cycle and the impact all of that has I'm grateful I found recovery early and I think you know I couldn't you can remember I probably gosh five years before she found recovery I'd taken her to a meeting just yeah. to go with me I was like yeah. 17 years old you know you know and it was just you know this is part of life you know and mm-hmm. just experience it and so I think there was always an awareness but even still with my recovery journey with me being trained as a counselor mm-hmm. it didn't matter no. you know and that's what I wish parents realized is that it doesn't matter if you've got all the money in the world, if you're if being the best parent, football games, scheduled activities, <laughs> full yep. of love, 100%. great meals. It does not matter. Mm. So parents, don't beat yourself up. Yeah, you know? I
0: really agree with that as well. And I uh, I was interviewing Irene Lyon, who's amazing. I think she's Canadian, um, and mm. she works with the nervous system. So she's, mm. she's a scientist, really. And so she looks at how that's inherited you know it's basically Mm. we inherit our basic physiology our vagus tone our vagal tone with from our parents our early bonding experience etc and they and she said something beautiful you know she said it's sort of everyone's fault and no one's fault Mm. this intergenerational piece it's like we have more knowledge now
3: Mm.
0: about how to to kind of do things but I think that you're right i mean in, in my own experience there's a big narrative especially for moms and women mm-hmm. in the, in the sober communities yeah. that okay it stops with me it 100% stops with me and it's like i was go it, it might not like that's an yeah. awful weight to put on yourself especially when there's could be trauma intergenerational trauma there could be neurodiversity that yeah. all manner of prevailing winds it's a lot to say that you can control in your family right it might not end to us, and that's. But we trying to control anybody else.
1: It doesn't work. Yeah. You know?
3: Yeah. It just doesn't
1: work, and you know, and I just think it's so important. I really believe the difference was, regardless of anything in my past, if I didn't have any personal experience or any professional training, I just think no matter what, it started with me realizing I had to be educated as a mama. Yeah. About what was going on, and I had to really start to take care of myself because if I couldn't take care of myself, I couldn't flipping take care of anybody else. Yeah, it's
0: so you know true, that. isn't it? And in these, you know, we're we're um look well, most of our work, me and Amanda, is about really coming from our own experience of when motherhood impacted on our mental health, and uh,
3: mm-hmm.
0: the, the, you know, and the lack of support, and the yeah. dare I say it, the patriarchy and the systems breaking down and all the rest of it led us and so many other women to some kind of crisis you know um whatever that whatever that might look like and i so i don't think it can be repeated enough to women and to mums that that self-care piece like you said my spinning class that boundary that time out was a linchpin for mm-hmm. your survival and we're not talking about i mean we could be talking about bubble bath but we're talking about self-leadership self-survival stuff that women are having to get i'd call bullshit on the fact that it's selfish because it
1: is when 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 you if you have a child that's suffering mm. from like mental health or any substance misuse or anything if you consistently put yourself last on the list you will not be able to do anything to benefit your family. You have to put yourself on the top of that list and make the time for the education, the support, the time for yourself. When I did those things, things started to click into place. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it was easy. There were tears cried every day, but it became manageable and I had somebody to call. You know, but when we sit last on the list, it doesn't help our families, you know
0: no and it is it's so interesting isn't it from you now calice because now you're a mama mama yeah <laughs> and so um, i'm quite interested in this whole because it looks from the outside so you've gone from that kind of nuclear family or even like solo parenting situation through to nuclear families through to extended families which is like going like backwards in time i'm really interested mm. about what. Work, and I love that I can I can see a future in that <laughs> what what kind of works for you all in terms of recovery as a whole family um
2: honest conversations I think too and like um making time like you know we live together we all need time for ourselves you know mom needs time with her husband I like to have time with P, my son um I like to have time with Nana but we also need our own individual time. So, like, respecting each other and having space and, like, honest conversation. We do talk a lot, like, very honestly. I mean, even, you know, with my son, like, he knows about recovery coaching. You know, we talk about recovery in our house. He mm. he once told mom about um, the McDonald's toys. Oh, he watched a cartoon once, and it had
1: all the abandoned McDonald's toys were meeting under them in the McDonald's basement and they were all having a fellowship meeting (laughs) to deal with their abandonment issues about being abandoned happy meal toys and he calls me into the living room and goes hey babes look they're having one of those meetings that you and mommy go to (laughs) so i think we talk about it in a very gentle way in a very positive way
2: where i mean in part you know in my son he'll be like mom, I think you need one of those meetings, you're acting a bit cray cray, you know, <laughs> but it is just that, like, open yeah. communication, we talk about our feelings, like, yeah. um, whenever my grandpa b- died, you know, and I was really emotional, and, and, you know, my son's, like, oh, why are you sad, like, why, and I was, like, Parker, like, it's okay, we're allowed to feel sad sometimes, we're allowed mm-hmm. to, like, cry sometimes, and, like, we just honest conversations and like talking about things like that because I feel like often we don't talk about things in a household we're just the hustle and bustle and like but you know everything's great like sometimes things aren't always great yeah I think
1: what's really interesting that I picked on from that is during that first year and a half that Cleese was with us here life was normal it was pre-covid so she was out all the, once she found her feet and figured out that a bus went both ways and that you had to put your arm out for it to stop, Gosh. Um, you know, and just the general things, you know, she was out, she found, she, she struggled to find a recovery community, but when she found some, she was fully involved. So she'd go to work all day, then she'd be out in meetings or having a coffee. And then when COVID came, I think we actually had to learn to communicate as a family. And that's when communication happened.
2: Well, yeah, because uh, yeah. yeah. I could say in my recovery, whenever before COVID, I was always out. But I feel like now that was me running continuously, like running away from something or not. I don't know. I don't know how to phrase that exactly. But then whenever COVID happened, it was like, I had to sit at home, you know, I had to really engage, Yeah. And then I had to like have conversations more and like, I couldn't just run around with friends or go do something. So then I had to like pick up my hobbies and like, what do I like to do? Who am I? And like really learning about myself because I was so used to being on the run all the time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of people, even if they identify as being in recovery or not found that Mm -hmm. in COVID. Yeah you know it was there was some gifts there of Mm. uh you know and it was like my husband and i for example he was always in london working and now we've been both working under the same roof for now like getting off two years and the kids and it was like okay it was tough there was part of it it was tough but there was some definite benefits in terms of that family dynamic
1: I definitely you know yes it's been tough and I think really being aware as an intergenerational family and having my mom Mm. in the house at her age made it really kind of challenging and a heightened awareness but like you said you know the gifts that have come through this
2: you know I mean like whenever COVID first started I mean I learn a lot, like I love learning. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. I would be learning about the Queen of England with my (laughs) Nana and I'd learn about politics with my Nana and, you know, government stuff and just uh, whenever RGB died and I'm like, you know nana like watching documentaries with nana and like my nana is just this person that's like my study buddy i guess now you know where we watch documentaries and learn together and then it's yeah, like she
1: it's just... like she's got this human library book downstairs yes, i just go
2: talk to my nana yes. all the time about stuff
1: that lived through the war and yes. you know knew about rations and so calice all of a sudden starts to see something on the news and it's like oh let me go to nana mm.
0: and it's
1: like that's a gift
0: Yeah. 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 And what? And the other thing that I'm really interested that you said about, because I know you're doing great work in Mm. the UK, what's available, and the stigma around it, Mm. and I think in both our different ways, and tell me if I'm wrong as well. Like it's just Mm. this is just occurring to me, but it's you know why work very much with the gray area of drinking and addictive behaviors so that early intervention of why it's everyone's business and i was almost allergic to the word recovery. so i was like that's it's just too full of stigma in the uk and i didn't understand it but coming from the the american perspective It seems to have a different weight to it. So it's like you are bringing that that possibility almost to the UK to talk about this as well in a non-stigmatised way. And blow it wide open. And I'd like to dig into that a little bit with you.
1: It's interesting because, I mean, when I, when people, I guess that, so this is just my experience, my viewpoint. When we came back to England, everybody kind of was like, recovery is abstinence. Yeah. yeah, and that just kind of went whoa. So you know, as a family member, as you know, a person in recovery, you know, no, that's just not what I believe. You know, people can better their lives in so many different ways. And so when you come from the mindset of recovery as abstinence, that's just about the usage. That's about what's happening. Whereas. I guess what I learned and what I know from being in America is recovery is about having a fulfilled life. Yeah. Recovery is about following your dreams. It's about getting support from many different places. It's about if that meeting doesn't suit you, then you might might be doing yoga. You know that if you're if you want to call yourself a person in recovery, if you want to refer to yourself as a recovered addict or alcoholic, if you just don't want to say anything and say, I've had some troubles and had
2: a good life, all of that's recovery. Mm. You know, it just and I think, too, yeah. like, you know, whenever we hear people say, like, recovery is obstinate, like, we can recover from so many different things. We say we're, everybody can rec- everybody's recovering from something. Yeah. I'm. You know, whenever my grandpa died, I would never experienced grief in my recovery that's a whole another form of recovery right there how do mm-hmm. I deal with this yeah. how do I deal with my feelings like you know mm-hmm. recovering parenting and just like
0: stuff that life is impactful us. right life is yeah. impactful it's almost to say it's almost like reclaiming that recovery word and like I said I come with full cultural weight of stigma behind me yeah. in a way that you guys clearly don't right and I think that's really important to call that out because I know that it's a really common thing in the UK. And yeah. to be able to say, there's part of owning that word is to be able to say, shit happens, and it's yeah. everyone's yeah. business. And we're like you said, and I know that um Dawn from She Recovers, it's they be another beautiful recovery organization yeah. in the in the um states. Like we yeah. are all, yeah, we're all recovering from something. And we all will because shit happens.
1: Yeah, exactly. And lots of people struggle with the kind of saying we have about, you know, you're in recovery when you say you are. You know, who am I to judge your definition of what your life in recovery looks like? Because even if to me as an outsider, I'm going, oh my God, that's pretty dire, I don't know where you were yesterday or a year ago. So this could be pretty darn good. And I don't want to judge that, you know? yeah let people grow however they choose to grow
2: let you know what that's so I I, so like I've been I like I said I'm constantly learning and I'd heard this phrase a couple people mentioned to me about the tall poppy syndrome have you heard about this yeah yeah so like I didn't know what this was so I went on a whole google Rabbit yeah. hole, you know. I <laughs> yeah. googled it, and then I was gonna write a paper, and I and I titled it "Let the poppies grow." Oh, <laughs> like, Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, I mean, and it's interesting because I think if we have more of an open-mindedness and willingness as a culture to accept that there are lots of different pathways to recovery, and maybe we just don't know about all of them right now today. And if we look outside what's happening in our little communities or in our country, there's so many other things. And it by no way takes away from what you are doing now. It is added value, added options, added benefits. And it might actually be something that works for somebody that they didn't have today somewhere else. And I just, you know by advocating, by speaking about recovery, I'm not setting anybody up to relapse or start using again.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and I've been accused of that.
3: Mm.
1: You know, if you're encouraging people to share or talk, but if we don't put a face and a voice to recovery mm. and all the different pathways of it, then how do some people find it?
0: Yeah, 100%. It's, and I, I think that the um, the online stuff has been a real gift. Yes, yeah. Um, you know, talking as a mum who was struggling with alcohol use disorder, um way well, it's like eight years ago. Um, and I tried different things like I, I couldn't do, as we've spoken about, I couldn't do the 12-step thing because mm-hmm. I had religious trauma. So anything with a win, mere hint of a whiff of a structure and a process, I was like, no, nah! or my yeah. everything kicked off, and anything to do with God. Whatever you think that is, <laughs> I, yeah. I worked hard to try and work that one out, but I, and, and deconstruct it. Yeah. I just couldn't go anywhere near it. So yeah. I found my way through a sober forum, through soberistas, yeah. and it was like, oh, okay, this is a group we can chat as mums like me, right? So you know we've not, and you know it will looks normal. That's the other thing that 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 sort of the online stuff has, I suppose, given us is to challenge the UK normative drinking culture yeah yeah I think a lot of people struggling looking normal just because it's legal
1: yeah I think that was an awareness police had when she came here so one in Texas the legal drinking age is 21 not to say people under 21 don't drink but the accessibility of just and the culture of going to the pub for lunch oh I was in shock like I
2: was so in shock like I was like what are y'all doing? And then just the way that bars and y'all's pubs and just like it was just the drinking culture. I I'd, I'd never see, I mean, don't get me wrong, like everybody, you know, a lot of people drink in Texas, but I just never seen it so extreme. Like, like I was just, what is going on here? It was like shocking to me. Mm. You know, really yeah. shocking.
1: And I think part of that shock comes from seeing such young people available to buy and drink yeah. in venues, whereas kind of Three years isn't a big difference, but yeah. it is a difference in maturity levels. Right. Not to say everybody at 21 is mature well, by any anyway.
2: I mean, I could tell you, I it was the first, I was working at a little coffee shop and we had gone out to dinner for something, you know, like staff. And then a girl ordered a drink and I was like, you can't have that. You're too young. <laughs> you know, like I literally was like, you can't have that. And she I was like, that yeah, I that boundary You're doing yeah. boundaries. Yeah. And she looked like a child. Like yeah. she really... I thought she was, you know, well, she was really young. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So
1: it just is that there's a whole cultural difference. And I guess kind of the other thing that we really noticed was we had access to a really good recovery community.
3: Yeah.
1: That it wasn't just one, you know, meeting or everybody met up together there was roller skating and bike riding and barbecues and going to the theater and i think family yeah, let's meeting talk with...
0: about that because in the uk we think of people in recovery going in the church hall and moaning oh, for an no. hour and then coming out and having a really shit day that's what it looks like to the outside world oh so no tell no, no, us no. about that tell us about all the different stuff that oh we could
2: be well, doing
0: there's we talk
2: about the pathways of recovery are endless they really are you know and I can tell you like I mean my new thing that I really love is storytelling I didn't know storytelling mm. could be a pathway of recovery and I wrote like a blog about it but it was like the sense of letting and I kind of phrased it as like think about putting a butterfly in a jar and you sit it there but then by like telling that story I'm able to like let that butterfly go it's mm. like a sense of like releasing mm. all of the stuff that's because yeah, we, we talk about it, but it just ends up sitting there. And mm. then, you know, like I paint and then mm. we talk about uh there's events and there's mm. just all sorts of stuff like going on. <laughs> it's just yeah. roller skating, swimming, yeah. hiking, canoeing. Yeah.
1: Uh, I think yeah. for me it was kind of like, you know, there were places that had literally probably six or seven different mutual aid meetings would all use that venue to meet, but they would then hold, you know, a barbecue where everybody from all those meetings came and met up and brought their kids on a Sunday and just chatted. It was, you know, it wasn't, oh, you belong to that group. Mm. You know, there oh, was, um, yeah. a, there's an organization called Recovery Rollers. So you get on your bike, you meet on the bayou, you ride your bike, you just go yeah. have some fun. And I guess the bit for me that made the difference was recovery communities and that I was exposed to in Texas and around and through Connecticut it's people who are not in recovery are also involved. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're a friend, you're an ally of recovery, That's you it. can offer a bit of mentorship, you just become friends riding bikes. So, through that, it then cre- then you get people to return back to a community, mm-hmm. then you get them to be part of the citizens of a community and making yeah. an impact. And it's just, you know, this kind of that like you right said, there,
0: isn't it? That's it. That's the connection. It's that's, like, it. That's, that's it. That's what's
1: missing here. Yeah. You know, anybody can be a friend or an ally of recovery, you know, and it's just kind of like a lot of the things, you know, and the other big thing for me is most of those um, community centers, recovery centers, there is no limit on the length of time to access. Mm. So if you have been in recovery 12 years and all of a sudden, you know you're having your first relationship in recovery and you want to just chat and get some advice how do i go on a date
3: yeah
1: <laughs> you can pop in and chat to somebody mm-hmm. if you need some help with a job application because you've never done it before if you just want to go in and have a coffee so that maybe you could help somebody else with no other yeah. intentions. so all of that you can only access this facility for six weeks or six months mm-hmm. doesn't it's and you that's know, it. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. I
2: mean, I can tell you, whenever I moved to England, I was like 90 something days into my recovery mm. and I couldn't find support anywhere.
0: No, I, I can't believe I
2: know. Yeah, no, I couldn't find any support.
1: She was told she'd had two t- more treatment than she would ever get here, and she just needed to either get on benefit or sort it out.
3: Jeez. yeah. Minus was, the yeah. fact
1: she didn't even know how to figure out the bus system, mm. the train mm. system had never applied for a job in the uk and if any i think if, you know if you put somebody in that situation with no support at 97 days in recovery you're setting them up for failure yeah. and you know, i was also
2: told that i could go out and have a drink and then i could come back and get on a 12-week program it's so, screwed
3: it's yeah. screwed
0: yeah, yeah it's it's uh what's the word i'm trying to look for it's irresponsible it's i don't think in terms of alcohol citizen responsibility is anywhere near what so that brings me on to you are doing great work tell us the vision tell us what you are doing now so the necessity is the mother of invention right yeah and then we've got Um, two mothers who are busy inventing
1: (laughs) I guess we realized that having a recovery coach through treatment with police and our exposure with the recovery community when we came here and she couldn't really access that, we had her recovery coach from Treatment Center in Texas gave us more support via Facebook Messenger and text and Zoom for 18 months. than and we still on. I mean,
2: it was supposed to be 18 months. We Both still talk, talk you yeah. know.
1: So that just kind of said, we know how valuable that was to us. Do you think we could actually start this here? And so we just went on a mission and we just want to create a community where people can create more communities and recovery coaching just made such a huge impact. And having that experience as I've worked as a counselor, I've worked as a coach and neither said exactly right, but then all of a sudden under that recovery coaching umbrella, I could be a friend, an advocate, a mentor. I could do all these different things or we could. Yeah. So we just said, let's give it a go. So we set up recovery coach Academy we partnered with CCAR, the Connecticut Community for Addiction and Recovery in America, and they have supported us, just I cannot say how Amazing. Oh, um Amazing. Yeah. So we've got our first Recovery Coach Academy CPD accredited, and now we're going to bring up the rest of the curriculum, so that's all exciting. But to me, it's not about a course, it's about a community.
2: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's like, you know, yeah. we have so many different people do our trainings and join us, and it's like just to see all of the skills and talents and stuff people have and then they want to make a difference and
1: yeah it's amazing and meeting people like you yeah you know, yeah like we've, we've got you we've met friends stuff. that are literally yeah. they've gone from a student to yeah. a community member to yeah. a friend yeah. and then calice we're really excited to say just got appointed as the i guess you're the youngest now aren't you I'm probably the youngest board member in the UK. No, not the youngest in the UK. So she's just joined the Board of Faces and Voices of Recovery UK. And so we are working really hard to support them. And Khalees has just spent the past two weeks probably in computer hell trying to type everything up and get it ready because we're trying to do 30 free events for Recovery Month over the whole month of September. So we just want to and it was a way for us to bring people who touched our lives in America
3: oh. to
1: England, as long with all of our new amazing people we've met and kind of say, here's 30 different pathways to recovery. Here's yeah, 30 different I people. Did. Just get a taste because recovery is global. It's not in our little community, in our little country. Let's just spread the word any way we can. So. And I think
2: too, like, you know, we talk about this stuff all the time. We're so passionate. We love <laughs> it. But like sometimes, you know, for us to say it's one thing, but whenever we're like, look at all of these amazing people. Come yeah. try it out. Then yeah. it's like, it, gives, it just opens the door for people to have options mm-hmm. and try something new.
1: Yeah. So we're just, you know, as long as we can keep the light bills up, keep the light bills paid and do all that we just want to build a community that's the other
0: thing (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah. and and it's just brilliant and i and i really appreciate the work that you're doing in the uk i think it's beautiful and you know and i can also from knowing you and just getting to know you getting to chat to you Mm -hmm. seeing all the the other stuff you know i can i honestly i get how important community is to you and there's an open-handedness and an open-heartedness to you guys which Mm -hmm. is just really beautiful and I and I see that in the recovery community do you know what I mean I do I do see that but it's so lovely to be reminded of that and um and to know that we're creating yeah sort of this this, there's a It reminds me this is not the right word, especially for someone who has religious trauma, but there's a there's a beautiful evangelism in speaking our truth, yeah, so that other people can find their ways, you know, like we were talking about shiny weird lights so that the other weirdos can find. you yeah. It's like my favorite quote. Well, it's just it. like so that we're yeah. visible, so that you're visible, yeah. so that and other that allows other people to tell yeah. their stories, like you were saying Khalise, such a lot of healing for all of us like we all need to heal right? we all need to freaking heal yeah um
1: and I think it's just it meant so much to us that it gave us the courage to be brave enough to try and do something to let somebody else have that yeah and it's scary at times you know this it's a whole new world but just when you believe in something so strongly you power through the tough days as well yeah and we do. just believe in this We yeah. just believe in it and the benefits of just meeting almost 100 people like you who we talked to and they were now our friends. Yeah, if we just keep growing that little by little, what an amazing group of people. That's yeah, yeah. Yeah, all that. supporting Thanks. other people.
0: <laughs> Yay. So where, where can people find you?
2: Oh, oh, please! do you want to do your... So, well, I mean, we are on Instagram. We are on Facebook and Twitter. And LinkedIn at Recovery Coach Academy. And then we have our website, recoverycoachacademy.co.uk. And then all of our stuff's listed. Yeah, all yeah, over. Yeah. And if you want to check out any of the recovery month events, they're all on recoverycoachacademy.co.uk slash
0: yeah.
2: or our Facebook page. So mm-hmm. people
0: can just rest um register for those yeah. events. Yeah. So There's just a they're slow. Off. You can come to one or all yeah. 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 Take a book. Yeah. Try something new And I'm doing one.
2: Yes, you are. (laughs) I
0: do want to Twenty-first of September. I'm really come on, Kate. Yeah. Um. So we'll link all that or everything in the show notes below, everywhere to find you. And if anyone wants to come, and yeah, check out the all of the free events over National Recovery Month. We'll put that. And if you're immediately concerned about your drinking, don't forget, just reach out, send up a flare um, to us at info at lovesober.com or just check out all the other online groups that you can find. And just know you're not alone and we will see you next week for more chat. If you love the Love Sober podcast and it's helped you to get, stay or love sober, you can support us by heading over to patreon.com forward slash and contributing £1 per episode. Thanks so much for your support.